Hello and welcome to episode 56 of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini. When I first started doing these podcast episodes, my goal was to provide two things, answers and advice from experts on lots of different subjects of concern to parents of special needs kids, and stories of experience from other parents of special needs kids. I wanted to recreate some of the support group meetings that I attended where we would hear from experts and also the parents would get to talk. Hearing from other parents seemed to help a lot because we all seem to do better when we know we're not alone. Of course, when the episode started, I mostly began finding lots of professionals willing to talk about their areas of expertise that could help all of us with our kids. But the parent story idea kind of took a back seat to those episodes. Well, starting with this episode, I'm going to start offering additional stories from parents. Parents whose kids are older and they're either still in school or recently graduated from school, parents who've worked and fought for their kids, parents who have struggled and may still be struggling, or parents who have somehow gotten through. They may not have always been able to get the help they wanted for their child, but they were able to get the best they could, and their kids are either on their way toward independence or they're already there. So these episodes are going to be called Special Parents Confidential Parent Stories, so that you'll know they're a little different from the regular episodes. But I think you'll find yourself learning as much from these stories as you do from our expert interviews. Our first guest to share her parent story is, appropriately enough, Carol Lippert, who was my guest on the very first episode of Special Parents Confidential. Now, in the first episode, we talked about how she created and organized a support group in her community for parents of children with autism. In this episode, she shares her personal story of how she and her husband, David, are dealing with raising their son, Wyatt, who's autistic and now in high school. I started off by asking Carol what happened when she and David first began to suspect that Wyatt had autism and how they got the diagnosis. Um, Yes, my son Wyatt was diagnosed at 18 months. He was not meeting many of the milestones that were achieved by most neurotypical children at his age. He had language delay. He had displayed unusual repetitive behavior, such as spinning objects and um, visual self-stimulative behaviors such as running along and visually tracking fences, and um, he did not acknowledge me when I would call his name. Mm. So um, a co-worker of mine with a child with autism spoke to me one day when she observed his behavior and recommended that he see a developmental pediatrician. Mm. And she saw some concerning behavior patterns that were familiar to her. Well, that started our journey. Ah, okay. Now, what was his autism like in those first years? I mean, you gave a little bit of a description there. Um, How much of a struggle was it for you and David to find the right kinds of help, too? Right. Well, um, the diagnosis of autism was very hard on us, especially at his time of diagnosis in 2004. Mm -hmm. I had just given birth to my second son, and I remember this to be a time of great joy as well as sorrow. So... At that time, my husband and I had very little contact with any individual with autism. In California, where we were residing at the time, they have regional centers, about nine, I believe, throughout the state. Mm -hmm. And our friend told us to contact them to get an official diagnosis, which would help to secure services if necessary. Right. Um, The regional centers that we were connected to in Southern California were extremely helpful. They sent a team to evaluate him and then referred us to a psychiatrist for the official diagnosis because you need it in order to get any type of service. Um, The caseworker that we were assigned to was very, uh, was our lifeline. She was helpful and extremely kind. 
and we were provided immediately with many necessary services, such as speech, occupational therapy, peer groups, and even respite for my husband and I. So I think our biggest hurdle was orchestrating the therapies while balancing a job and caring for our other child, who was an infant at the time, Mm. Um, and still rapidly learning about why it's diagnosis as we went along. Right. And autism, of course, is kind of an umbrella medical term. There's so many different varying degrees of all the different uh, things that go on there that it's hard to actually say that, well, he's going to be like this when there could be all kinds of variables. Right. It's a guessing game, but we have to be on top of it every step of the way. Right, right. Now, did your expectations change over what kinds of help Wyatt could get versus what he did get, and as, especially, you know, when you moved here to Michigan? Yes, it did. Well, when we first had to decide the types of therapies that our child would be requiring, we relied heavily on what our service providers suggested, as well as the psychiatrist. Um, so I feel that parents must educate themselves rather quickly as to what types of resources are offered in our community and what we need to obtain them. So over the years, we became more knowledgeable about what our son specifically needed. Mm -hmm. And when we started public school at the age of three years, um, because they do qualify for early childhood special education, we then learned a whole new set of rules in which the school district dictates the type of support that he would be provided with. Right. And that's not always the support that uh, are being recommended by other experts. No. um, Well, funding is key, although they are not allowed to talk about that. Right. School funding is inevitably less than necessary. So Mm -hmm. we sought out private therapies after that. And when we moved to Grand Rapids, where we started the process all over again, right? Um, you know, then they dictated the programs that he was given as well. Right. Now, during Wyatt's elementary school years, it was decided by the school district that he should go to a center-based school that was not in your school district. So what is a center-based school, and why did the district decide they wanted him to go there? When my son was approximately nine, it was suggested from the school administrator that he be put on medication to help with his internal distractions. Mm-hmm. Now, my son has autism, so um, he has great challenges with focus and um, learning. Um, and although I fought medication for over a year and offered suggestions of other methods to help with his sensory challenges and focusing, I relented due to the pressure that I felt from the school mm-hmm. that it would help with his learning. So, um, so we put him on medication. And then the next couple of years, we noticed that he slowly became aggressive, at first mm-hmm. with self-injurious behaviors and constant meltdowns. And so my son's school recommended that we consider alternative options for schools. Mm-hmm. And the only suggestion that they had was to send him to a center-based school. Now, a center-based school provides a program for students with severe disabilities who are not mainstreamed in the regular schools. Mm -hmm. The um, the children attending are from all areas of the local county and have various disabilities, not just exclusive to autism. So um, 
it was suggested that my son be transferred to the Center Bay School primarily due to his behavior. And I must emphasize that, as I mentioned, in a Center Bay School, there are no general ed peers. And um, knowing this, I felt that this was not a right placement for my son, who attended the local school, local public school, since the age of three. Right. Well, you know, it strikes me as, you know, they they say that uh, kid can't come to school until his behavior gets better, but how is a child going to learn to behave in a school if a child is not at that school? Well, it was a big, <laughs> it was a, a very difficult time in our lives. Right. Well, I was going to say, how, how traumatic and how hard a struggle was it for you and David to cope with this situation? It was. It was, um, I mean, having a child with autism has definitely changed our family dynamics and lives. And although both of our children have always been our focus, our child with autism had taken priority over many aspects of our lives. It changes so many different aspects, our activities and even our relationship with our friends and family. And um, having my son start at his new school with unfamiliar staff and students and environment was a huge change in his life, and we had to adapt to this immediately. Um, In my opinion, it was probably one of the most difficult situations that both my husband and I had to deal with. And my husband, my, I'm sorry, my son's move to the new school was very painful to accept. However, the situation that existed at the time was extremely toxic and harmful to my son. Mm. So we did what we had to do. Right. Yeah, I remember you saying at the time, you know, well, if they don't want my son at that school, then maybe he shouldn't be there because who knows how they're going to be if he is there. Right. I mean, there were no other options and. And so we had to relent, and, um, you know, all we can do was stay involved and continue to help our son with appropriate support. Right. Now, did sending Wyatt to that center-based school help him more, or do you feel that he missed out on too many other things? Um, Well, it was kind of um, a mixed um, thing, and he started, he immediately, um, we started him on an ADA program. Mm-hmm. And so um, he attended ABA, which is Applied Behavioral Analysis Therapy, right. every day of the week. And that was his first year um, involved going to ABA and then attending school. So um, that was to help with um, not only his behavior at the time, but with ex- expressing his needs as he has very little um communication, uh, verbal communication skills. Mm -hmm. So um, I believe that in our situation, when my son son was transferred to a center-based school, he was in the need of a break as things became so stressful for him. The students and and the teachers and staff at the center-based schools were, were more cognizant of how to support children of all disabilities and handled all related situations uh, a little better because of their experience. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, my son adapted to this new environment, though his behavior was still present until the discovery of the harmful effects the medication that he was on was 
doing to him. Ah, okay. So it was the medication that was causing all these uh, problems with the aggression and all that. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, the, when we stopped giving him that medication um, to help with his focus, it, his behavior had immediately dropped. And that was noticed um, by staff and, as well as therapists. So that was probably the primary cause of, of his behavior. Right. So, um, you know, the, as far as being in a center-based school, the biggest loss for Wyatt was the benefit of so, the socialization with his general ed peers. Mm-hmm. Um, interaction with general ed peers or peer-to-peer support has been shown to benefit and impact our children with disabilities in terms of socialization and modeling of age-appropriate behaviors, and he didn't have that anymore. And so um, that was really um, my basis of argument for getting him back to his homeschool. Right. And um, and our his personal experience was, um, you know, another unfortunate occurrence at his center Bay school was that there's such a frequent turnover with his teachers, five in five years, and um, many long-term substitutes fill the gaps that my son was not getting consistent schooling, mm. and I had very little confidence that his educational goals were being met. Right. So right. my goal then, from the start, actually, was to have to work on ways to getting him back to a school and um, to um, put him in a, a more appropriate um, setting for him. Right. Now he's... Why it's back in high school. He's back in the regular public school in your district. Um, how has coping been for him as far as going back to a public school? Um, I think it's, it's been positive, and um, Wyatt has adapted quite well to being in his home district's high school. So there still appears, you know, there are areas of um, being having a different curriculum that he is still adjusting to it. Um, his transition back um, was done very carefully. He initially attended both schools with the majority of the time spent at the center Bay school, and over the years, uh, more time was added to his district school, which made being back full-time at his high school an ideal transition for my son. Mm-hmm. And um, he is now back with his peers that he grew up with, and but he is still participating in a self-contained MOSI program within the high school. Okay. And that is, um, MOSI is modestly cognitively impaired um, ah. program. Okay. And how, how different is that from a, a regular program? A MOSI is, um, you know, he has the benefit of being supported in a class room uh, by teacher, a uh, special education teacher, to provide him um, with um, the help that he needs to meet his individual goals. He is on an IEP, which is an individualized education program, so right. he has um, his own set of goals that he needs to meet at his school. However, he has the interaction with general ed peers that he he also grew up with, and so that is 
a great benefit to him. Okay, so he's in a regular classroom with an IEP or with a special education teacher uh, along with him. Right. No. Well, he is in a program. He is in a class. Okay. And, and however, he is um, has contact with the general ed peers and, and participates in activities um, when he can. Okay. Now, he's also involved in a lot of sports. Can you tell us how that has helped him socially? Sure. Um, uh, there are many reasons why our son has been active with sports and physical activities. Um, he learned um, to um, swim at a very early age. Um, as Drowning is the number one um, cause of death for individuals with autism. Wow. So he, we got him to learn to swim um, we started to teach him swimming at age uh, nine months, but he hmm. really started to learn at age two. And um, as far as exercise goes, um, studies have shown that there appears to be a higher percentage of it ASD individuals who are overweight, which causes many health issues, especially um, um, the kids with digestive issues, which many of them have digestive issues. Yeah. So um, we enrolled wide in a variety of sports and programs like um, special needs soccer and gymnastics and special hockey. And, um, and currently um, we belong to a gym and we go as a family and on a regular basis and where we walk the track and work out and with equipment and go swimming there. And... Um, but being involved in physical activities and programs has provided some social opportunities for Wyatt because being in a special hockey team, for instance, has um, provided him with um, opportunities to meet um, other kids who um, play sports. And um, that type of opportunity isn't provided to him in a general ed school. So what would you say to parents who are probably just now getting the diagnosis for their kids and they're, they're not really sure what to do and what autism is going to mean for them in their future? Well, I would say to seek help and search for local resources, workshops, and programs as early as you can. They, um, studies have shown that early intervention is important. However, I truly believe that it is never too late to teach your child um, as we never stop learning. Another important um, uh, bit of advice is to network with other parents, um, as it has been a lifesaver for me, and um, because it, it gives you the opportunity to share uh, important resources and experiences with each other. One other question, of course, if you could talk to educators and give them some advice about how to best deal with special needs children, what would you say to them? My main advice that has been given over the years is assume competence and please open your minds to adapting to the different ways in which to educate our children who all learn differently and um, to please fight for our children as they need your support and please keep an open line of communication with parents so that we can learn from each other as well as finding ways together that are most successful in both environments. Right. I've always liked that line that you've had about assume competence because I think sometimes there is a idea that 
you know, these kids, well, because they don't learn the same way that other kids do, they just can't learn at all. And uh, that we know for a fact that that's not true. Exactly. You know, uh, my son has struggled with communication, verbal communication, um, all his life. And um, I, I, from personal experience, have observed that, that there are people who, because he cannot carry on a conversation, they just don't bother, you know, trying to communicate with him or, or you know, trying as hard to, to educate him. And um, it's really unfortunate because there's a lot going on with our kids. And they are very smart. And they show their intelligence in different ways. My thanks to Carol Lippert for sharing her story about her son Wyatt and the journey that she and her family have taken. You know, a great way for you to stay in touch with me and communicate your thoughts on these episodes is on the Facebook page for Special Parents Confidential. Use the Facebook button on our website, specialparentsconfidential.com, to find us, or you can just search Special Parents Confidential on Facebook. It's also a great way to share our podcast with everyone you know. And that's it for this episode of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini. Thanks for listening.